Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy word. A a brief few verses from Acts 9, and then the majority of our reading this morning, as well as the majority of our message, will come from Galatians chapter 1. So beginning with Acts 9, immediately, verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from his, Paul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, did you hear this? For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. What was he doing during those days? That's what takes us to Galatians 1, verses 10 through 17. This is Paul writing. He's reflecting back on that time described in Acts 9. After he'd regained his sight, after his life had been turned upside down, here's Paul's description of what was happening during those some days. For now... For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you to know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that everyone that's present here this morning would be able to truthfully and honestly be able to answer a question Am I seeking the approval of people, or am I seeking the approval of God? Give us clarity that it's not possible really to do both, and joy and life and peace and salvation itself really are only to be found in seeking your approval. We confess very readily we are hardwired to seek the approval of other people in our sin nature to prefer the approval of people over the approval of God and so we ask you to give us grace to understand how we might like Paul go from seeking people's approval to living for your approval that's found in the gospel of grace we pray this in Jesus name amen Well, you may be seated. We're continuing our study through the book of Acts, and we've come up here to the conversion of of Paul, a remarkable conversion. Paul was heading in one direction, met God, and began to head totally in the other direction. Is that anybody's story, by the way, here today? You are headed away from God, you are headed against God, and then you met God. 
and you saw Christ, and it totally transformed your life. Well, I hope very much that it is your story. And now what we want to see this morning is a particular season of Paul's life. We know a lot of where he's going, right? We know that Paul's going to suffer much. We know that he's going to write Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and so on and so forth. We know that he's going to travel the known world at the time all around the Roman Empire proclaiming the gospel. We know all that's coming, but what I want to lay before you this morning is there was a particular season of his life that sort of serves as the uh, wellspring, if you will, for all that he was going to do uh, at the remainder of his life. It's a small little brief, about three years. I get that from Galatians 1, verse 18. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem. And what Paul learned was he learned about God for himself. You know what I mean? He learned about God for himself. Now, God confronted him on his way to Damascus, and then there's this season of Paul's life. If you've got your a sermon outline there, you see the title, The Necessity of Solitude and Obscurity. We'll talk much more about this. Two things that are very hard to come by in this culture, right? Solitude and obscurity. But here's what they're, here's what they're necessary for, for godliness. I often share with you that uh, I, I like the advice of my preaching professor in seminary when the question was asked to him, how many points should a sermon have? And he said at least one, right? So here's my main point. I want to give it to you on the front end, and then we'll spend the rest of our time sort of stirring this up. Godliness, godliness requires time spent alone with God in solitude and obscurity. That's my main point. Godliness requires, it's not suggested, but it requires solitude and obscurity obscurity. Hey, if you're going to make banana pudding, what do you think you would have to have? At least a couple of things. What would you have to have? Bananas, all right. If you're going to make chocolate chip cookies, what would you have to have? Chocolate chip. Now, I, I am no baker, cook, anything, I, but I know at least these, these things, right? If, if you're going to have godliness, what you have to have is, well, you have to have God, And the only way to really commune with him on the level that cultivates godliness is in solitude and obscurity. That's what I want you to see from Paul's uh, letter here to the Galatians. One of the first epistles, by the way, that he writes. And so, again, we're in this season of, of Saul about to become Paul's life. In fact, as we'll see, I think that's in this season that he stops going by the name of Saul and starts going by the name of Paul. And there's a reason behind that, as there's always a reason when somebody's name is changed in the, in the scriptures. It's in this season, a season of solitude, a season of obscurity, that he really learns who God is for himself. So Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Oh, it could be such an incredibly helpful scripture for you if we've got the humility to to, uh, to, to, to receive its message. So really, I'm going to take this scripture, and we're going to ask three really, really simple questions of this text. I'll go on and give you the three questions as well. Paul arrives at a certain destination in his life, so our first question is going to be, what was that destination? The second destination is going to, or sorry, the second question is going to be, how did he get there? And then the third question is, what did he do while he was along the way? I hope that'll make more sense as we continue. So let's just start with where Paul starts. 
in this text, he kind of, he, he starts with the conclusion. He, he starts with a place, quite frankly, friends, very, very few people are ever to arrive at. Look at verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? This is an obvious question, right? And, and ba- on the basis of his question, here's what I think we could say. Everybody on earth right now is living for one of two reasons. Either, number one, you're living for the approval of other people. What other people think about you? What other people say about you? What you want other people to think about you? And what you want other people to say about you? We are hardwired to desire the approval of other people, aren't we? Aren't we? We really want other people to think well of us. And some of us go to great lengths to ensure that people will think well of us, even if what they think of us is not actually true of us. And then there's one, there's one that knows everything about us. But because of our sin nature, we're born in sin, we're we're born naturally inclined to worry and be afraid and be obsessed, right, with what other people think about us and not think so much about what the Lord might think about us. But Paul, look what he says, am I now seeking the approval of man? You know what he's saying? I think he's saying there was a time. There was a time in my life I was seeking the approval of other people. Now, uh, here, we have, here we have the implication that, that Paul used to live for the approval of people. Now, here's a simple question. What happened in his life, right? What happened in his life that moved him from worrying about what everybody else thought to living for what God knows about him? And it's real clear I think is he met God right (laughs) he had met the living God now again friends one of the strongest and most natural instincts we have when we're born is the approval of other people we we wish it weren't so don't we in, in, in fact, in fact, I think sometimes we want to convince ourselves that we're not real worried about what other people think about us. But, but I find when I talk to people who say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. And you know what's really true? All they care, all they care about is what other people think about them. As a matter of fact, if they didn't really care, they wouldn't go to great lengths to tell you that they don't care. If they didn't really care, you know what? They wouldn't even talk about it. But it's almost deeper when people say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. They want you to think about them that they don't care about what other people think, right? Some of the the most obsessed people about what other people think are those who say they don't worry about what other people think. And so what we do, how we speak, how we dress. I, I, I read, and you might have heard this as well, that Margaret Help, age 98, died this week. Anybody know who she is? She developed and originated the beehive hairstyle. Beehive hairstyle. Now, I'm just going to go on and tell you, friends, I looked it up. I got out the 1964 Calvary Baptist Church directory. And I thought about putting right on that screen, scanning a couple of pictures, right? Now, I'm scanning around the room this morning. Nobody's, nobody's got the beehive hairstyle, right? One of the reasons that I think we became environmentally conscious, right? The amount of hairspray that it took to keep that beehive up there. 
The direct r- r- result is there's no ozone layer anymore. I think it's what kind of happened, right? But um, I read a little article on her, and it said that uh, Mrs. Jacqueline Kennedy and Audrey Hepburn helped make the hairstyle popular, right? Now, we ain't chuckle about it. We can go back to the 80s, right, before any of us get too self-righteous about these matters. Go back to the 90s. As a matter of fact, we can go to the most in-style person in 2016, and if you just hit pause and go to 2036, you'll be looked back on and say, I can't believe you wore that. Right? But, 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 but why? We're, we're trying to get approval. We do it with hairstyles. We do it with clothing. We do it with terminology, right? It's groovy, out of sight, totally tubular. We're totally awesome. It works. Tragically, my generation, that's the bomb. <laughs> and young people, young people know when it's officially time to start using different phrases. You know when it is, right? When? When your parents are using the phrases. That's when it's officially uncool, right? But we hear what everybody else says and we begin to adopt what they say and dress how they dress and do what they do and then we categorize ourselves in all sorts of ways and places and 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 and, and things and then we learn something really important too don't we we learn that we have a certain amount of power by withholding our approval of other people and this is how the game is played isn't it because all everybody's hardwired wanting approval and then some people learn pretty quickly hey i have power by withholding my approval and saying well no 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 that's not how we do such and such and so we ostracize people and we won't give them our approval because again we learn the way the game is played in fact most of our discouragements and frustrations our anger our jealousy comes out from not getting the approval of others. And here we have Paul living a completely different way in the midst of this system that sinful nature has cultivated. It's how we learn to hurt other people because we learned that this is how we ourselves were hurt. I I saw very clearly when I had the... uh, We'll use the word opportunity, as some of you have, of of changing schools in the middle of a year. Anybody ever been there? And you go from one setting to a whole new setting. I was in the fifth grade and showed up at a new school, don't know anybody. And you know what? I can, my my memories are so clear that time, probably because my adrenaline was pumping the whole time. Why? Because I'm wondering, does anybody approve of me? Does anybody love me? Does anybody want me around? It's, It's how we're, again, how we're wired. But look what Paul says. I'm now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? I want you to see very clearly, he's saying, in essence, you can't do both, right? Some of us want to find a middle ground. I want to do both. And I want you to see very clearly what he says. Am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Wow. Huge statement, isn't it? What Paul says is, you can't try to please people and serve Christ at the same time. So, some of us just need to resolve it this morning, right? 
Because this is where we live. This is where we're existing. I want to try to please people and have people's approval. And I want to serve Christ. What's Paul just said? Can't do it. And you know where Paul learned this? In solitude and obscurity. By being alone with God. And the more time Paul spent alone with God, it sort of weaned him off. The need to have people approve him. Do you know what's also interesting, although it's ironic, the only way to really help people is to not want their approval. Did you know that? The only way to genuinely help somebody is to not need something from them because you've already found it in Christ. Now, uh, uh, is, is there a way out of this trap? And we know Saul's name, his birth name obviously was Saul. So the tribe of Benjamin their tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, was known as being the first tribe into the battle, right? They had a saying in those days, or rather in the ancient days, the Old Testament days, follow the Benjaminites into battle. This is what they were known for. And it's uh, uh, clear to see when uh, he thought there was a fight to fight against the church, who's the first one in the battle? Well, Saul is. I'll lead the charge to Damascus. He's likely named for the first king of Israel, King Saul. And do you happen to know what King Saul's chief characteristic was? Does anybody know? He was absolutely obsessed with what everybody thought about him. What did Paul just say? If you're you're obsessed with what people think about you, you cannot be a servant of God. And that's why God rejected him as king. In fact, God says, I will get a king after my own heart. That's David, right? I'll put somebody on the throne who's not obsessed with what people think about him, but rather desiring to know me. And so Saul of Tarsus, it must have been around this time, began using a different name, the name Paul. Do you know what Paul means? Paul literally just means small, so it's easy to remember, right? Small Paul. Isn't it interesting? Well, what do you think is the thought process behind that? Saul, as Saul, he sought to be somebody big, right? Somebody memorable, somebody influential. And then when he encountered Christ, he must have realized, I'm not so big and mighty after all. In fact, I'm quite small. Matter of fact, you just start calling me that. I'm I'm small. And are you ready for the glorious Christ-honoring irony? The only way to ever do anything glorious and great is to know how small you really are. If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's keep reading here. Uh, That's the destination. That's where he gets to. Again, it's a hard place to arrive at, and nobody can shepherd you to that destination other than God himself, where you're weaned off seeking the approval of others and now living for the approval of God. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not... Man's gospel. Paul arrived at the destination that it's better to live for the approval of God than for the approval of people. Have you gotten there yet? Have you arrived there? It's better to live for the approval of God than the approval of of other people. So here's the second real simple question. How did he get there? I'll answer it in one word. It's used over here in verse 17. He got there through Arabia that bless anybody? He got there through Arabia. So you say, are you saying I got to get on an airplane and go to Arabia? That's not quite what I'm saying. He got there through solitude 
and obscurity. He got to the destination by going through Arabia. Let's read about what he learned in Arabia. Verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, you know what grace is? Unmerited favor. Unwarranted approval. That's what grace is. Pray it's clicking in our hearts and our minds. That, that all the approval you might seek from other people that you have to jump through all these hoops to get and they still might not give it to you is offered to you freely in Christ Jesus. I think Paul understood this. He's pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. What was in Arabia that was so helpful to Paul? What what, what was out there in the middle of nowhere? If you went to Arabia in those days, you know what it was? It's the middle of nowhere. It's the wilderness. Two things were in Arabia. Solitude and obscurity. Now, and I, I want to just lay before you that this isn't just something that was in Saul's life. This is a consistent teaching in the scripture. Consider a few examples. Moses. Moses grew up, right, in the lavish environment of Pharaoh's courts. But he, but he fled, right, to the plains of Midian. And for 40 years, you know what he had? A whole lot of solitude keeping watch over his father-in-law's sheep, right? And obscurity. For 40 years, nobody knew who Moses was. And then finally, at the age of 80, he's plucked out. You heard that right. At the age of 80, plucked out of obscurity and on the world's stage. The world is in a rush to create stars and then get over them. Have you noticed this, right? I mean, you go to the show and you get on television and 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 then you're yesterday's news before it's even tomorrow. That's not God's way. God's way is to build up a man or a woman when nobody's around in solitude and in obscurity. And then once they've learned who he is for themselves, to put them on the stage. David was anointed king of Israel to replace that people pleaser Saul, right? As a teenager. But after his heroic victory over Goliath for 13 years, he lived as a fugitive running from cave to cave. And probably the psalm you love best was written by David during this season of his life of solitude and obscurity. He wrote those psalms dozens of years before anybody saw them, read them, loved them, treasured them. About Joseph. Betrayed by his brothers, he, he rose to prominence in Potiphar's house only to be thrown into prison unjustly. And he spent two years forgotten, overlooked, in solitude and obscurity. Hey, do you think Joseph would have been as good a leader as he was without those two years of solitude and obscurity? I don't. 
Elijah boldly stands up to King Ahab, declaring no rain or dew would come. And then he's called out to this little brook, Cherith Brook, and spent a long period of time in solitude and obscurity. John the Baptist spent most of his life in solitude and obscurity before anyone heard him preach. No distinction, no awards, no trophies, no prominence. All of them, Moses, David, Elijah, Joseph, John the Baptist. Time to think. Have you noticed we're in a race to secure that none of us have any time to actually think today? Rush, 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 rush. And we're trained to think obscurity is uh, the worst case scenario, right? So, so if we can contrast solitude, let me just define, I've used those words several times. So solitude, stillness, quiet. Let's see how long we can go. Let's see if we can go to eight seconds. You ready? You mark, get set, go. Some of you are already antsy. We don't have a lot of this today, do we? Some of you might be even say, would you just cut your mic off and let's just sit a while. Stillness. Phone goes off. TV's cut on. Radio's turned up. Time to wrestle with the big issues, right, of life. We're a culture that avoids stillness and quiet at all costs. I mean, if you find somebody in there at a restaurant just sitting there still, no phone, no tablet, no nothing, you, you're liable to think they're crazy. What's wrong with them, right? Stillness and quiet. Again, time to think, time to listen. No earbuds in, no background noise. That's solitude. And then obscurity, just to find it this way. Not seeking the attention of others. So again, we're hardwired to want the attention, right? To post it, to, to like it, to click on it, to get attention. Not seeking the position of prominence. I've got a quote I want to put up on the screen. It's by an author I like to read on occasion named uh, Richard Foster in his, in his book, um, Celebration of Discipline. He says, superficiality is the curse of our age. Amen. Right? The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people, right? The kind of depth that you only get out in Midian and Arabia and the caves and so on and, and so forth. So Paul arrives, weaned off the approval of people, primarily through believing and understanding the gospel as he meets alone with God. And, and then the last question for us this morning is, what did he do while he was out there? I mean, did he just go out? Um, you can take the quote down. Uh, did, did he just go out and just sit around and do nothing? No, that's not what we're talking about. I, I, I wrote down a few things that we know Paul did while he was in Arabia. First of all, he resolved that there were some things that he needed to leave behind. Read with me here in um, verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. 
how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. Did you hear his phrase? My former life. Hey, if you've come to faith in Christ, you've got something called a former life. And there are some attributes, some characteristics, some habits, some practices that you need to leave behind, right? He left behind his former purpose in life. His purpose in life had been to destroy the church. Now, it might be that your uh, former purpose is not quite so um, violent, right? But do you have something that you used to live for that was greater to you than Christ? And have you left it behind? here's Here's a way of maybe understanding what that was. Just a little fill-in-the-blank exercise. I am seeking the approval of other people by being talented in this or achieving in that. Now, now, now that doesn't mean that those things are bad, shouldn't do well in school, so on and so forth. But is there something that's got prominence in your life above Christ that maybe does need to be left behind? He left behind his violent temper what he said i persecuted the church of god violently tried to destroy it got a violent temper friend you need to leave that behind um you know where most violent you know where most violent tempers come from wanting approval from other people and not getting it it's where most anger comes from friends it's where most jealousy comes from how do you put it to death oh the best strategy is to Die to needing, wanting the approval of other people. It's mission impossible. You won't ever get it to the degree you think you will. He, he left behind the insatiable desire to advance beyond people his own age. What he says, I was. He uses the past tense over and over because he's describing who he once was, his former life. I was advancing. He left behind the traditions of his father's. As a matter of fact, this whole book of Galatians, by and large, is him leaving behind traditions in order to proclaim the gospel. You have to keep doing these traditions, these ceremonies, circumcision and the like. Now, Christ has freed us from these things. So so it's in Arabia that he learned to leave some things behind. Secondly, secondly in Arabia, he resolved that God made, he submitted, I'll get it out in a moment. He resolved that God had made him And he submitted to God's purpose for his life. I take that from verse 15. When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, right? He learned to stop kicking against the goads. He learned that God's design for his life was best. And third, he learned about Christ. Verse 16, pleased to reveal what? His son to me. See the the connection between God revealing the son to Paul and Paul proclaiming the son to others. I want you to see that connection. So I want you to know that, that God never really reveals the son to people, not expecting them to proclaim the son to other people. Does that make sense? If God's revealed the son to you, he's got somebody he wants you to proclaim. But you know what? The number one reason people don't proclaim the gospel, who knows what it is? Fear of man. What are they going to think about me? Do you see how it all interrelated here? You've got to die to that, friends. You've got to die to it. Worrying and obsessing over, 
Oh, they'll think I'm strange. You are strange. They'll think I'm weird. We'll use the Bible word. You are peculiar. You're a peculiar people. You ought to stand out. You know what the word church means? It's a Greek word, ekklesia. You know what it means? Called out ones. You know what you're called out from? I'm not seeking the approval of man. Amen? Importantly, Paul learned about Christ for himself. Peter didn't teach him. He's not a clone of John. He learned about Jesus personally. Now, friends, this is by no means meant to imply that you, you, you don't need the input of godly counsel. As a matter of fact, it's what he very quickly says. Verse 18, after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit with Cephas. And remained with him 15 days for three years. Uh, interestingly enough, Paul, uh, Paul spent the same amount of time alone, seemingly in Arabia, that the other disciples had spent in person with Jesus. Three years, right? God is willing to reveal himself to anyone who will take the time and have the humility to seek him. So um, that brings us to a real practical matter. Anybody in the room have three years you can just check out? Go live in the middle of nowhere? Uh, Moms of little children, go all right at your house if you just say, I'll be back in three years. Y'all just fend for yourselves. Can, can, can you go tomorrow morning to your boss and say, you know what, I think I'll be a better employee if I just leave for three years. I'll come back. So, so uh, we just throw up our hands and say, we, we, we can't do it. Well, here's, here's my counsel, right? None of us, I don't think, have three years that we can go to Arabia. So what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to bring a little bit of Arabia to us right? So so here's what I mean. I I have a very, very, very simple formula I want to commend to to you, Um, meaning I I hope you'll adopt it and put it to practice. You don't have three years. You can go uh, sit alone and wrestle with the big issues, but you do need to wrestle with the big issues. You do need to learn Christ for yourself. You do want to learn this book for yourself. Uh Uh-huh. it's pretty interesting to compare and contrast the uh, spiritual development with physical development. It's about age three that I've noticed my children have learned to sort of feed themselves, right? So you've got to come to a point in your life where you're feeding yourself. And so here's my formula. Every day, every day, reserve some minutes in the day. Every week, reserve a day. And every year, reserve a week. That's my simple formula, my suggestion. So I just want to elaborate on that a little bit. Within every day, number one, you want to find some minutes. It, it, it might not be an hour. It might not be 45 minutes. But can you find 30 minutes? Can you find 15, 20 minutes? Look, turn with me to Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, Mark 1, 35. We're going to work our way re- real quick, just a few moments, through this formula. Every day, find some minutes Every week, find a day. It's obviously a, a, a godly practice, a Sabbath, a Sabbath day of rest. We'll talk about what that actually means, though, in a moment. And then every year, find a week. Look at Mark 1, 35. Speaking of Jesus, before we read this verse, ask you a question. You think Jesus was busy? You think Jesus had a lot of demands on his schedule? 
but I want you to notice his practice. Mark 1.35, and rising, uh-oh, that's where we already are, that's where we already hit our first speed bump, didn't we? Rising, rising, got to get up. Real practical, it's easier to get up at 5.30 or 6 if you've gone to bed at 9 or 9.30. <laughs> got to get rest, we got to get rest. Well, first barrier is, man, we find it hard to rise And when did he rise? Very early in the morning while it was still dark. Can I tell you how selfish and sinful I am? I had this thought in my mind, and there's some places in the world where it stays dark until like 10 o'clock in the morning, right? Like the North Pole where it's dark. Maybe it was was Judah that way. No, it wasn't. When did he get up? Still dark. He departed. You know what that word means? Solitude. Some of us is easier than others, right? find a solid, a, a, a quiet place, and went out to a desolate place. You know what that is? Obscurity. Solitude and obscurity. Nobody's around. It's just me and the Lord. If you want the truest, friends, if you want the truest, truest, truest mark of the health of your relationship with the Lord, it's this. What's it like when nobody else is around? When it's just you and him, right? And there he prayed. Right? Very early in the morning. I think that was a regular practice of Jesus. You're not busier than him. You've not got greater demands on your schedule and on your time than he does. He wasn't supernaturally freezing time, right? We'll just let the sun stand still for 30 minutes while I pray. That's, no, same amount of time, same schedule, uh, probably more so, obviously, many more demands on him than on you or I. But he found it necessary. And it's my inclination to think he did this because he he, he knew it was necessary, and he also wanted to do it. Now, if you're not in the habit, you might find it awkward at first. So let me just give you a few little baby steps. to Maybe you'd start with 25, 30 minutes. And just do something simple. Try to read a chapter of the Scripture and uh, pray for 15 minutes. Number one obstacle that I've heard over the years as I've uh, preached the Word is, you know what, the number one obstacle I've heard people say, I don't want to read the Bible, it's, it's this, I don't like to read. I don't really like to read. And I know there's some people that just flat out don't like to read. But we're up a little bit, if I can say it this way, up a little bit. Remember last week, Ananias? God said, here's what I want you to do. And Ananias was saying, but, 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 but. Just think for a moment, just think for a moment. I don't, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic about this. But the moment you stand before Christ, how hollow do you think it's going to sound to say, I would have known you better, but I just didn't really like to read. And you made me that way anyway, you know. The way that God, it's where humility comes in. The way that God has chosen to reveal himself is in a book, right? If you want to know God, you've got to, and, and so maybe you just start praying, God, help me, help me to like reading better. And if you're not in the habit, again, start simply. Commit to read a Bible uh, not a Bible every day. Well, that would be good for you too, but a, a chapter of the Bible every day. Start with First John. Start with the Gospel of John. If you will have personal holiness and kingdom effectiveness, you must spend time alone with God, period, no exceptions. And spending time with God will recalibrate you daily. It's what we need. Again, it's how you wean off the approval of other people as you spend time alone with, with God. So within every day, reserve some minutes. 
I think the morning is the best time from the example of Jesus, and there's multiple other examples through the scripture that we could point to, but uh, not all of us are morning people. But I'll tell you what, a good way to become a morning person is to spend the morning with the Lord. Every week, reserve a day. Now, for most of us, that day is likely best to be this day, Sunday, Resurrection Day. Now, God has exhorted from the beginning for you to have a day of rest. Now, this doesn't mean that a day of rest is not a day that you sit around and do nothing. That's not what God means by a day of rest. There is a component of physical rest. But it's also a day of spiritually resting in Him. A day spent for prayer. A day spent hearing the Word of God proclaimed. And then, as the day progresses, thinking back on it. I also think it's helpful to spend an extended period of time reading the Bible. I mean, we're studying through the book of Acts. Go back and read through Acts. Write, jot some things down. Take initiative to, to think. Write down some reflections. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room and close the door, and your Father who sees in secret, he will reward you. Go with me to one more verse, uh, uh, and this is every year reserve a week or a series of days, three, four, five days. Most all of us, take a vacation at some time in the year. I'd advocate taking Jesus along with you on vacation, right? Just think of it in those terms. Where can I go and what can we do to just sort of unplug a little bit from the demands of the schedule and plug into to Christ? Look, look at Mark 6.30. I'm advocating this because it seems to be a practice that Jesus had with the apostles. Mark 6.30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that he had done and taught, and he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. You see that? Now, uh, now in this, uh, in this, this is actually the feeding of the 5,000. Their plan was to go away, and when they got away, everybody showed up. And the, so it didn't quite work out the way they... But I still think Jesus here, we can see, is advocating. And friends, sometimes you just need a few days. This is a... Uh, sort of like your cell phone needs to recharge, you need to recharge to work. Now, what, what had happened is, uh, verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught, right? They've been out there working. They've been out there serving. Now, I just want to say in, in a very friendly way, but in a very clear way, it seems to me most, uh, most of the time we, we flip the time upside down where we try to rest and relax for long stretches and then serve in short stretches. But this is, they've been at it for weeks, right? Traveling and working and sharing and preaching and proclaiming and gospel, uh, witnessing and serving and loving people. And then Jesus just said, let's just get up, come away for, for a few days, right? So, so every, uh, every, if you're actively engaged and involved in gospel ministry, you're going to need to occasionally get a few days. The, the best remedy for, Billy, for, for feeling burned out, anybody there, by the way? Man, I'm just burned out. The best remedy for feeling burned out is to rest a day a week. That's why God built it into the commands, right? Again, that doesn't mean you sleep 16 hours that day necessarily. It means you rest your heart and mind in Christ. You meditate on Romans 5 or Psalm 23. or You unhurry yourself. Amen? Let me describe the typical life that does not find minutes in a day, a day in a week, or a week in a year. And, and I'm saying this out of my own experience, right? So this is just my own reflection. 
ineffective, unfruitful, hurried, worn down, burned out. Feeling the pressure to do more, but not knowing exactly what more to do. No real plan for my own life or my family's life. Self-centered, full of self-pity, focused on self and not on Christ. Easily irritable. Is this just me? (laughs) Concerned about what other people think about you. Struggling with the same sins year after year. Friends, godliness is not microwaved. It's slow cooked. Can I give you an example of somebody's life who wasn't lived that way? Let's finish where we started in Galatians. Verse 18. Reminds me of Pastor Josh preaching last Sunday night. Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Um, I think Paul is able to finish so well. Able to say I finished the race. I kept the faith because he started so well. Got some things settled in Arabia, right? After three years, verse 18, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God glorified God because of me. And what I feel led and as I study this is there's a direct connection between Galatians 1.10 and Galatians 1.24. I resolved I'm not going to try to please people. I'm going to try to please God. And they glorified God because of me. The first obstacle is, unfortunately, far too many people want the glory for themselves. Look at me, hear me, so on and so forth. Paul said, I don't want that. It's empty to begin with. But they glorified God because of me. You're greatly loved by God in Christ Jesus. Do you know that? You don't, you don't have to go out looking for it out there or around that bend or in that practice or that approval. God is willing to say that in Christ Jesus, you're fully accepted and eternally loved. And you will find, if you come to him in humility, that he's willing to teach you, to meet with you, to change you. Now, in conclusion, Paul was able to arrive at one of the rarest places human beings can ever get to. He lived for the approval of God and not for people. What I've been trying to say to you this morning, hopefully it's been clear, that he took a specific path to get there, a path that went through the solitude and obscurity of Arabia. And while in Arabia, he resolved what needed to be put away. Maybe some of us this morning need to resolve, here's what needs to be put away. God helped me to put it away. And he also resolved who was in control of his life. And he learned Christ Jesus for himself. Now, last statement before we conclude and have our invitation. Saul didn't spend, Paul didn't spend all of his time in Arabia, right? He didn't spend all of his time in solitude. 
nor did he spend all of his time in obscurity. I mean, we all know who he is today. But he did spend time in solitude and in obscurity so that when he was around other people and he did have something to say, it wasn't to get their approval, but to proclaim the gospel. So let's stand together and we'll pray together. And we enter our time of invitation. And um, in accordance with the scripture this morning, do you know Christ for yourself? Do you know him? It's not through somebody else that you know him. Anything that needs to be, that's true of your former manner of life, just needs to be left there, right? Or maybe you need to resolve it in your heart that God's revealed himself to you so that you would proclaim him to other people. Let's pray together. Additionally, maybe you'd resolve during this invitation time as you pray, as you seek the face of the Lord. And right now, you're not finding minutes in the day. The day dictates to you more than you dictate toward the day. Maybe you just take some time and say, Monday morning is going to be different. I'm going to follow the example of Jesus. I'm going to find time to be alone in quiet solitude, unplugged from the pace and the rush and the constant bombardment of phones and screens, much of the bombardment that is inconsequential. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to, I'm going to open up my Bible to 1 John or Gospel of John, Romans 5. I'm, I'm, I want to hear from the Lord. Maybe you'd resolve that in your heart. Maybe you'd resolve that the Sunday, the day set aside, you'd really leverage in the way that God designs and intends. You need a day to recalibrate, to listen, to reflect. So, Father, I pray that the message that solitude and obscurity are necessary for godliness finds good soil this morning, finds people receptive to it. Because, again, Father, this seems in my heart, at least, to go very much against the current of the culture where solitude and obscurity are uh, not prioritized. Help us to understand what we're really trying to say is solitude and obscurity are prioritizing you to hear from you to read your word to be changed father i pray for grace for anyone here today that has some things in their former life that need to be put away you give them grace to do it and that we would be a people who know you for ourselves lead our invitation time Lead us to pray what needs to be prayed, to resolve what needs to be resolved, to do what needs to be done for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.